Hello and welcome to the Not The Top 20 podcast, the Monday pod. And if you wouldn't mind keeping your voice down, that'd be much appreciated. I'm Ali Maxwell. I've got George Elliott with me. Hello, George. How are you, my friend? I'm I'm fine, mate. Yeah, I, I you know, you and I had very different weekends where, you know, you trended towards the EFL Awards night, whereas I was at a wedding on Saturday, so I was immediately on the back foot come Sunday, which meant that I um, said my goodbyes and left the awards shortly after the final award was, was given after a, a lovely dinner sitting next to yourself. Well, I did not leave uh, after dinner. I uh, You left after breakfast. <laughs> I leaned into it. I leaned into it. Did I overcook it? No, I'd say I cooked it just about right, actually. Leaving around the uh, 2.30 mark, I got a selfie on my phone with Victor Yukares, uh, from 0219 and one f- with Lawrence Vigarou uh, around 0220. Uh, so that was a nice way to say my goodbyes. And I just want to share a, a few more uh, things that I thought were really great from the awards that I think people will enjoy hearing about. Um, we were sitting in front of Junior Chamado and his father and his dad did some 10 out of 10 dad celebrations when Junior Chamado won League 2 apprentice of the season that was one of my favorite part maybe the of the awards part anyway was seeing the unbridled joy on the face of a father celebrating his son's achievements and that is kind of i guess what it's all about really um but there was loads of really great stuff in terms of the awards and you and i did a, a live stream um on the efl youtube channel on the blue carpet because it wasn't red it was blue um, for half an hour between 5.30 and 6 o'clock. I was very excited to meet two people in particular, Vincent Company and Michael Carrick, but neither <laughs> of them walked past us, so that was a shame. We didn't get to, but then there were, you know, it was great. We got to speak to Chris Kamara, who was given a, a special award on the evening. You know, certainly a hero, I think, to, to both of us, not just in terms of being a broadcaster, but just being an incredibly entertaining part of following the EFL and football in general over the last couple of decades and in our lifetime. Jeff Stelling, you know, you can say the same about him. Despite our work with Sky, that was the first time I'd ever met Jeff. And he's alluded to us a couple of times on, on Gillette Soccer Saturday, normally calling us the EFL guys or the EFL boys. But it was nice to meet him uh, as well. Barry Fry came and had a chat. And then in terms of, you know, EFL talent, we spoke to Victor Jokares, uh, who you mentioned just a second ago, Connor Harrahan, uh, who is a friend of ours, loads of others. Mark Robbins was there, Sam Hoskins, and it was really great. And there were two moments in particular that I really enjoyed, which were both interesting broadcast moments from yourself, which people can go back and watch. You can still watch the, the whole half an hour um, on the EFL YouTube channel. If you go into lives, you can find it there. The first of them was when Darren Moore came and spoke to us towards the end. And your first question to him was, and you look incredible, and then you, or you look, and you look great, and then you hand him the microphone, which was just a lovely first question. Nominee. Hi, Darren. Hello, Darren. How are you? Yeah, good. Good, good. Nice to see you. Good evening. Looking very well. Yeah, no, I'm um, really, really pleased to be here this evening and come and enjoy the, the awards evening. <laughs> uh, I maintain it was a, a good question to ask. Um, we're going to work our way through what happened on Saturday because it is. Well, it's always a lively show, this one. We will touch on some award winners as well after each uh, division, but we mainly want to talk about the football, I think, because you can go back and forth talking about awards all day. We're going to talk about the football, and we have to start, George, with surely the most surprising result of the weekend. At the top of the championship are Burnley, uh, and if they beat QPR at home, they were securing the championship title they were going to celebrate they were going to laugh they were going to dance they were going to drink they were going to sing 
unbeaten at home before this game. The only team in the EFL that hadn't lost a home league game this season. Uh, at half-time, 0-0. Burnley had had 86% possession and 17 shots to QPR's one. 1. 1.75 XG generated, but no goals. That's because Rob Dickey was on one, clearing two shots off the line. That's because Seni Dieng made a sharp save or two. That's because the crossbar denied uh, a Burnley attempt as well. Then, in the second half, a little Ethan Laird long throw. Rodriguez jumps under it, bounces around a bit. Sam Field, half volley, smash it in. Goal against the runner play. Burnley pressure, Burnley pressure, Burnley pressure. Manuel Benson doing his copy and paste goal, cutting inside and thronking in a howitzer from range. Absolutely absurd, by the way, the regularity with which he has done that this season. And you felt like Burnley would go and win it. George Burnley didn't go and win it. Because QPR, with only two wins in their last 27 league games, it was them what won it. Chrissy Martin with the winner. Remarkable scenes and a remarkable game um, where... Uh, I, I just did not anticipate that this was going to be uh, the game that QPR were able to um, build some momentum and try and launch this survival bid. Uh, and at half time, it looked really unlikely that that was going to be the case. Um, as you said, Burnley, by far the better side in the first half. And it was a matter of time, it felt like, until they were going to score. And even though um, that is the case, in, in the second half, Burnley's superiority was by no means as evident, even when they were 1-0, 1-0 down. You know, Field's goal clearly came against the run of play, but um, it wasn't, you know, even though they still had a lot of the well, all of the ball and all the possession and territory, the second half went in a kind of a different way where Benson's goal itself was a, a classic Manuel Benson special. I was just thinking the other day how Benson had been quite quiet <laughs> and then he's just gone, gone and done it twice again. Um, he is the best in the EFL and has been the best for a long time in terms of coming off that right-hand side and, and firing the ball into the far corner. It's an incredible skill to be able to do that repeatedly, even more so when everyone you're playing against knows that's all you're going to try and do and you can still pull it off. Um, but it wasn't a barrage. It wasn't an onslaught. It wasn't loads of chances created from Burnley. And Chris Martin's header, um, you know, there's no way you can ever say that it was deserved for QPR, but given QPR, where they've been in the last few weeks, their form, and how good Burnley have been. It's impossible to get away from the fact that if QPR were going to win this game, it was going to have to be like this. It was going to have to be a smash and grab. They were going to have to be clinical. They were going to have to live on the edge in terms of, of last-ditch defending and keeping, and they've gone and done that. Uh, a, a massive three points for them. You know, For Burnley, the champagne is on ice in terms of, of being champions. Um, they're obviously promoted, but now if, uh, if they get a point, I think it is at Ewood Park, they're big rivals. They get to celebrate winning the title um, on the pitch of their rivals, which, yeah, I mean, it's not a bad trade-off. Make no mistake, QPR's win makes their survival unbelievably probable at this stage. I am not going to say it's done, <laughs> um, but given the uh, amount of teams beneath them now, uh, even between themselves and the relegation zone, uh, given the fact that some of those teams are playing against each other and therefore cannot pick up maximum points from their remaining games, QPR are in ridiculously strong shape which would have seemed absurd to have said you know if you were on the train up to that game looking nervously at the league table you'd have marked QPR down for zero points instead they got three uh, absolute insanity the reason that we love football the reason why it is by far the best sport in the world is because it is low scoring is because results like this can happen this George I think and thank you to at Blues Breakdown on Twitter for flagging this has to be the first time ever 
that a central midfield player has played over an hour and not completed a single pass and ended up on the winning team. Uh, so congratulations, Tim Irabunum, for making, I reckon, football history. Uh, second place, Sheffield United did not play in the league because they were too busy taking on Manchester City at Wembley. And they had the game's major chance. And certainly uh, in the first half, Illiman and Jai squandering it, I'm afraid. It was a, a very presentable opportunity. And uh, unsurprisingly, in the end, uh, it was City who came back and did the damage. Riyad Mahrez uh, with a hat trick. But I hope that the Blades fans who went to Wembley had a fantastic day out. Uh, the promotion is a formality at this stage. It, it, it can and will be confirmed very, very shortly. And we will do a sort of ode to Sheffield United season uh, as and when that happens. Luton and Middlesbrough, third and fourth. They play tonight on Monday. That game hasn't happened yet. Could it be uh, a preview of a playoff final? Uh, possibly. Possibly. But they'll have to go through the semis first, George. And we have two new members of the top six because in fifth now is Coventry City on 66. In sixth now are Sunderland on 65. Also on 65, Millwall and Blackburn, who have a game in hand. On 63, West Brom, who have a game in hand as well. Uh, and Preston, who don't. And down on 62, Norwich and Swansea City have been big risers recently. I think the Coventry 2, Reading 1 result George albeit not a surprise was one of the most significant results of the weekend for both sides with no one else around Coventry winning on Saturday until Sunderland did on, on Sunday and with most of Reading's relegation rivals picking up at least one point it was uh, a game that yeah catapulted Cov into the playoff places and for Reading it looks pretty bleak yeah it does look bleak I mean I think uh, Noel Hunt has done a really impressive job in the three games that he's overseen at Reading, given their position, you know, a couple of really unlikely points. And then going down here 2-1 to a Coventry side who we know how impressive they are and how you know, how good they can be. Um, Coventry with good value for the win. Um, you know, Reading, obviously, without Andy Carroll, Lucas Rowell scoring the goal for them. Um, but either side of, of the, the Reading goal, Coventry very good value for for the for the three points the win and the wins for them. Um, you're right in terms of the uh, the significance because there are a lot of teams in that cluster trying to get into that fifth and sixth position who are at the worst possible time dropping points really regularly. You know for to draw, so I don't want to talk about it in much detail. But for the Blackburn Preston game to finish um, one all, you know that Dominic Hyam own goal very late on. I mean, yeah, it keeps Preston alive, but realistically, that was bad news for, you know, it, it's a point that doesn't really do too much for Preston's aspirations. It's an unbelievably damaging um, goal to concede for Blackburn um, in ridiculous circumstances as well with um, Ryan Hedges trying to do a Lionel Messi chip from about eight yards out when bearing down on goal when there was a minute left on the clock. It's one of the worst bits of game management I've ever seen in my whole life. Like execution, zero, um, just like, decision zero it's, it's a bit like when you and I play golf and you're like you were last week and you're in the really thick rough and you pull the three wood out and it goes about five yards it's basically what what Ryan Hedges has done there um <laughs> that last that last minute was just that was EFL in its purest form really was and that you know I know that we're not talking about the game in itself now but that is that goal for the likes of Coventry Sunderland Millwall West Brom was just huge. It's just, I mean, it almost gave them like a two point boost each as that goal went in, um, which is really significant. And at the bottom end of the table, yeah, with Blackpool winning, with Wigan winning, as we'll talk about in a second, Huddersfield not playing, Cardiff picking up a point. Um, 
you know, for Reading, it it felt before this like there was, you know, it was Reading were the only team who could maybe get their way out of the relegation zone. But suddenly, you know, it's going to be very tough for Wigan with two games to go. But all three of the relegation spots look like they're they're back in play. The good news for Reading is that they play Wigan at home. Uh, Wigan, the bottom club, three points beneath them. Then they play Huddersfield away. So, uh, although Huddersfield have one extra game to play. Um, yeah, the fact that their game on final day is against Huddersfield could be very lively indeed. Um, Coventry won off the back of a, another magnificent display from Gus Harmer, who is absolutely stepping up right now. He's playing in the number 10 role, or at least much further forward than normal, because Callum O'Hare and Casey Palmer uh, are both injured. It's been a bit of a masterstroke from, from Mark Robbins, because although Harmer is brilliant at the base, he's also got, like... You know, the the Brazilian part of him is sort of unlocked when he's playing in the 10. And he's so dynamic and he's got skill and he's he's very direct with his running. Um, he's got three goals and six assists in his last 10 games. And, I mean, we've seen enough of him where I'm very confident saying he, he's one of the best players in the division. I've no doubt about that. And while uh, Jokeresh has been massive for them uh, over the whole season, uh, it feels like Harmer's the one in the last couple of weeks anyway who's been powering them right into the top six. Um, he's not far off a double-double. I think he needs two goals. Uh, Iliman and Jai is the only other one that's got a chance in the championship. He needs two assists. So I dare say both will fall just short, which would be a shame to have a, a championship season without a double-double. But uh, such is life. That Preston-Blackburn game, one all was an absolutely unbelievable game to watch. I thought completely absorbing um, and and had the conclusion that, uh, that, that, that was sort of fairly apt, I think, for the EFL for the championship for this stage of the season for a derby game uh, it was perfect and I mean for Blackburn they've now conceded since we last spoke two stoppage time goals uh, one scored by a goalkeeper Ben Wilson for Coventry in midweek uh, and one uh, a, a complete freak own goal basically a, def- a cross that a defender deflected in and that's cost them four points which had they picked up their playoff place would look pretty secure uh, George do we want to Talk about the absolutely hilarious slash completely disgraceful behaviour from Blackburn's goal scorer Sammy Smodix. Always been a big fan of, yeah. of Smod, but this was uh, not great. Yeah, I mean it was a nil-nil in the game. Um, <laughs> the cross comes in and Smodix going for a diving header clearly isn't going to get there. Outstretches his left hand. It's a brilliant bit of, you know, diverts in very well. It's a great slap. Great punch. Yeah. Fair to him. Wheels off in celebration. And it is spotted eventually by the referee who books him and brings play back and gives a free kick. But the audacity of Swadix, fully aware the game is live on Sky as well. It's not even just, um, you know, it's not even just a three o'clock game where you're going to get called up in the highlights. It is live on the main sports channel in the country and Smodix protests or even doesn't even protest. He, he looks like he can't believe what he's hearing. He looks like he doesn't understand why it's been given a handball um, when it was very clearly a deliberate handball, but he had the last laugh and he, um, and he got the, a, a brilliant finish as well. Really nice touch. And then rolling into the far corner. Um, I wouldn't say he had the last laugh. I think Preston had no, the he last had laugh. He the had the next laugh. He had the next laugh. Well, he who laughs next laughs <laughs> the next time. Yes, well, it was a very entertaining game. Um, George, what happened on Sunday at the Hawthorns where West Bromwich Albion hosted Sunderland? It was a monster game for both teams' playoff chances. 
Sunderland left with all three points. Sunderland leave with the playoff spot. Uh, and 21 under 21 legend, Dennis Serkin with a brace. Do you know what I, I think? On a week where, or a week after, there's been quite a lot of conversation about Sunderland goals not getting um, their their due praise with a certain Jack Clark goal um, not being in the reel for EFL quarter of the season, which I was pretty, pretty surprised about, amongst others. Um I think this is one of the most little underrated little braces you're going to see from Dennis Serkin, where both goals are just really, really good finishes um, from a player you wouldn't necessarily expect it from. Uh, West Brom took the lead um, through a penalty. I personally thought it was a penalty. I didn't really see why there was much complaint there. I mean, I know that 09 doesn't necessarily go through the man, but he makes a pretty deliberate attempt to play the ball and doesn't get near him uh, and definitely stops the progress of Swift in terms of of the you know the, the the advancement into the area. Swift progress. Yes, and Swift tucked the penalty away. Uh, West Brom were, were really unconvincing again. It's been a real theme recently, even in the games they've won. As of late, teams are finding it pretty easy to, to um, create chances against them. In my mind, they are so different to Carlos Corbrand's Huddersfield, where... With, with with that side last season, you knew that they were going to be so solid. They were never going to be that um, expansive in possession or create that many chances from open play, but their set piece uh, at both ends was, was superb. Whereas this Baggies team feel like they are at, at the kind of mercy of the individual talents of, of certain players in advanced areas. And yet, despite, you know, Yokshulu and, and Malumbi being two very, very good and very informed defensive midfielders, Teams, you know, whether it's Blackpool, whether whoever it is, Sunderland seem pretty easily capable of breaking them down on a consistent basis. Um, and that was an issue in their away form for a long time and wasn't at the Hawthorns, but we're seeing that creep into their home performances. And that was the case here, where Sunderland were value for their 2-1 win in my book. You know, in the second half, especially the first goal, the circuit header, such a good header. I mean, it's one of those where I can't really work out if because it's so pinpoint into the top corner if there's a bit of luck involved there and he tried to get it on target and it looks much better because it flies into the top, top corner. But the, but the second goal was just a, a brilliant bit of attacking play, um, kind of one-touch football down the left-hand side. And then again, a great touch from Sirkin and he rifles it into the roof of the net. Just two very aesthetically pleasing goals full of skill and composure uh, about a left-back or a left-sided centre-back, depending on where he plays, uh, for Sunderland, who has really impressed us. And there's a, you know, he's just gone and scored two goals that could have basically taken Sunderland's return to the Premier League going from very unlikely to now them being a proper challenger and a proper candidate to be in this playoff race. And we've always said whichever team or two can break into the top six will do so because they're in flying form coming into the end of the season. And uh, that will, you know, given that teams beneath Sunderland still have a game in hand, if Sunderland are to finish where they are now in sixth, they're going to have to keep up this form into the end of the season. If they do, then I think there'll be a, a, a big problem for the likes of Luton and, uh, and and Borough and whoever else is there. Yeah, Blackburn and West Brom still feel like the, the most important uh, teams in this conversation just because of the games in hand that they have. But the battle is, is ridiculously tight. What is it? It's uh, eight teams separated by four points at the moment. It's just perfect. Uh, Millwall have dropped out of the top six where they've been for quite a while because they lost at Wigan uh, for a Wigan athletic team that could have been relegated on Saturday but they're still fighting they're 
still uh, alive, sort of. Uh, back-to-back wins for Sean Maloney's side. He's certainly doing himself um, no harm in terms of uh, getting buy-in ahead of next season. And I'm sure Maloney will take Wigan uh, into League One uh, and be their manager next season for their big rebuild and reset. It's only the sixth time this season that they've scored more than one goal and they're pretty good for it. Uh, Asgard with the winner combining with a- another academy product in Callum Lang, which was a nice, a well-taken goal. Uh, will Keane scored the first. He's someone who I fully expect to stay in the championship and I think could be a, a highly underrated signing this summer. I don't think Will Keane will be the sort of signing, age 30, this summer that people will get super excited about. But I think he's shown over the last two years in which he's been able to stay fit, which is always the issue for Keane previously, that he's an absolutely quality operator who scores goals and links play and is an aerial threat. Not necessarily the quickest, but a really good finisher as well. Uh, And I'm really interested to see where he lands because I think in the right team, in a good team, Keane could be, you know, I think we could be talking about him very differently in in six months' time. I think he could still be... um, impacting games in the championship just as he did here and it does mean I'm afraid that we're going to really only delaying the inevitable Um, I tried to work out a way that they could stay up Um, they need to beat Reading away and Rotherham at home which seems doable but they'd also have to hope that Rotherham lose their two other games as well as losing to Wigan they have to hope that Huddersfield lose two of their remaining three games but very specifically they have to hope that Huddersfield and Reading draw on final day because if that match isn't a draw then one of Reading and Huddersfield will be impossible for Wigan to catch Um, so uh, and also they need Blackpool not to win their two games so only delaying the inevitable but but showing some some good spirit there's absolutely no doubt about that yeah I mean we've said it about Stoke a couple of weeks ago and things haven't gone great since but I always think at this time of the season it's a time where you can just start to see some you know some trends in terms of where teams are headed and it's clearly been just a, a really unsettled period at Wigan uh, over the last year um, since they won the, the League One title uh, with, with little reason for cheer but um, I think early signs as to Sean Maloney's um, potential as a manager are really exciting I think we're seeing loads of really good stuff in terms of the way that he's getting his, his implementing his ideas the way that he's getting his team motivated you know you you just said there and I agree with you it's probably prolonged you know delaying the inevitable but you got Callum Lang getting an assist for a goal and jumping into the crowd on on Saturday like you know these are players who don't think this is over who are clearly like highly motivated to play for the manager and for the fans um and yeah I think there'll be a league one side next season but depending on who they can keep I mean and we've seen you know this group of, of decision makers at Wigan build a league winning squad over a short period of time over one short summer um, I, and we know that teams who come down from the championship generally even if they have a poor season are pretty competitive in league one I think the omens are, are, are good at the moment for Wigan which is something we haven't been able to say or I, I didn't think we, we would say um, over the last few weeks someone connected to Wigan Athletic uh, bought me a straight whiskey at about 2am <laughs> last night and I haven't told you this, but my previous drink before that was a Lucky Saint, non-alcoholic beer. And I was trying, wow. I was just trying, I wanted to stay. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Yeah, I really wanted to stay and I wanted to, you know, press some more flesh and do it, you know, chat to a few more EFL managers who'd had a few beers. But I also didn't, you know, I wanted to be professional ahead of today's 
podcast. So I, I was trying to just drag it back a little bit. At 2 a.m. My, my intent was so pure and just got completely smashed to pieces by a, a neat glass of Jameson. Probably I would have preferred to drink upwards of, well, probably every single drink they had behind the bar more than... Uh, a neat glass of Jameson, but actually, you know... Is there a fair chance that the person who bought you that is listening to this is not going to think, like, well, I'm never going to do that again, the ungrateful beggar? Yeah, possibly. I mean, he didn't ask. He just ordered them, and then I was like, is that for me? He was like, yeah. I was like, okay, well... I mean, again, I'm playing that on you now. If you say, is that for me? That In my mind, that's you saying, can I have this, please? And him saying, yeah, right. Anyway. Um, how um, how much of it did he drink? I think I, I, think I drank it all, mate. <laughs> That's one of my it's one of my central tenets in life. Never leave liquid in a glass. <laughs> Maybe there's an, a, a nice a nice glass of scotch in toasting to Sean Maloney's good start as manager of a Wigan. Beautiful stuff. Scotch, scotch, scotch. Um, Nor Norwich, Norwich, brilliant. Okay, Norwich. Norwich got thumped by Swansea. George, the best team in the championship are the end of season Swans. The shackles off Swans. The these games don't really matter. Swans, uh, for some reason, they keep clean sheets, which they didn't previously. They don't give the ball away at the back, which they did for most of the season. They score from set pieces, and they don't concede from set pieces. They're an incredible team. <laughs> Um, and they're talking themselves into maybe, maybe making it. Uh, could they make it? Possibly. I mean, I, I said last week that I didn't think they could because even if they won all of their games, they probably still wouldn't have enough points to, to, to get into the top six. But then the results, you know, with Blackburn and Preston drawing, West Brom losing. Well, I mean, West Brom losing, they had to if suddenly picking up the points. But Mill were losing as well. If Swansea win their last two games, they get to 68. And right now, 65 is in there. Their goal difference is not as good good as basically all the teams around them, apart from um, Blackburn, who they would beat. But yeah, I mean, if, if, if they get to that, I guess the important thing is if they can beat um, Hull on penultimate day, then it's very unlikely that they won't go into... Uh, the final day with a chance because they host West Brom. So if they are, you know, within two points of West Brom and within touching distance of the playoffs, they would know that A, they can usurp the side they're playing against crucially. And then if other results go their way, they could get in there. And again, you know, I mentioned that about Sunderland. Like if, Sun- if Swansea can muscle their way in, as you say, the informed team in the league, I can guarantee you, you know, we're going to see tonight the game between Luton and Borough, which is probably going to tell us who finishes third and plays sixth place. I think you'd probably want to avoid them at all costs right now because they are uh, swanning along at a... Can you swan it along at a rate of knots? Is that a bit of an oxymoron? Um, no. Uh, yes. That should be my nickname, isn't it? Oxymoron, because I'm a moron who loves Oxford. <laughs> that was a great minute or so. I was I was really admiring the vim and vigour with which you said the word usurp. Thank you. You really, you really I'm a wordsmith. You certainly are. Um, and uh, I'm saying, no, they won't make it because I don't think 68 makes it. And I don't think they're going to win both games. There you go. Said there it. Go. Loved Olivier and Cham's goal, though. One of my favourite first touches of the weekend, albeit uh, certainly not number one, which we'll be discussing in the League Two segment. Um, but 
there was a little gap between two defenders and he he sort of nudged the ball through the gap quite far in front uh, and then kind of used the two defenders coming to, to squash him um, quite nicely and just sort of shrugged him off and then megged the keeper. Absolutely uh, excellent from and Cham. Uh, what else in the champ? Blackpool, same as Wigan, really. You know, that relegation could have been confirmed. It's expected to be confirmed. And yet they went to Birmingham and they won 1-0, George. By all accounts, a terrible game um, with from what I saw, two massive moments, basically. One incredible bit of last-ditch defending um, kept Birmingham at bay. And then Perveda uh, scored a goal after a terrible Kevin Long error. Uh, the gap for Blackpool to safety is three points to Huddersfield and then five points to Rotherham and Cardiff. All three of those teams play one more game than Blackpool do. Uh, it's another one where I know if I ask you, can they do it? You'll go yes. through all the stat, all the numbers and say, and then eventually you'll go like, yes, they can do it, but they probably won't. So mm. should, why don't you just say that? Should we just skip it? Because that is, you know, they, if they get six points, they've got a chance. They probably won't get six points though. Yes, they can do it, but they probably won't. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you want to talk about in the relegation battle sphere? Because just to give a quick overview, um, QPR are now on 47. They're in 18th. Uh, they got Rotherham, Cardiff and Huddersfield beneath them. Rotherham and Cardiff are on 46. They play each other on Thursday. That's their game in hand. Uh, Huddersfield are on 44. Uh, they also have a game in hand uh, against Sheffield United. Uh, and then Reading, 43. Blackpool, 41. Wigan, 40. Uh, anything to say? Yeah, Huddersfield. I think we should just talk about them because their predicament worsened again, really, over the weekend um, without playing. Uh, I think uh, plenty of us, myself included, had kind of written, um, well, not written them off, the opposite. I had kind of seen them safe after after that incredible mini run under Neil Warnock. But suddenly they look very precarious indeed, just one point above the relegation zone. And their last three fixtures are absolutely dripping the narrative. <laughs> where next up, because they've still got, they've got because they, the reason they didn't play this weekend was because they were meant to be playing Sheffield United, who had their FA Cup semi final, which we should probably mention they lost. Um, I did mention it, mate. You obviously weren't listening. I wasn't it. Um, and but they go, they they play Cardiff away uh, this coming weekend. Cardiff will have played Rotherham on Thursday night. So we will have a clear idea going into that one, whether it's Cardiff's um, position that is still pretty unstable or Rotherham's. Um, but that is, you know, given Neil Warnock's history with Cardiff, is a game that will have a bit of extra spice to it. And then two home games, but the first of which is that game against Sheffield United. Neil Warnock, of course, a Blades legend. Will his old team, who, you know, would have been promoted, uh, do their old boss a favour or will it be a game where Sheffield United are threatened further and then that unbelievable final day where they host Reading in what could easily be uh, a, a game where the winner takes all and stays up so um, yeah the the drama yet more Neil Warnock drama coming uh, I'm sure and there probably isn't a man <laughs> better better fitted to get his, his side up for it Cardiff Rotherham is going to be spicy on Thursday night um, Cardiff could have basically secured their survival on Saturday had Sorry Cabber scored a penalty that would have put them 2-1 up against Stoke. It was brilliantly saved by Jack Bonham. I think there are certain penalties where I almost I almost desperately don't want to say Cabba missed a penalty because I think that's a complete misrepresentation of what happened. Cabba hit a great penalty, objectively a very, very good penalty, and Bonham pulled off an amazing save. It was one of the least celebrated penalty saves ever. Like, I know Stoke are kind of on the beach. Half of them will probably leave the club, and the vibe is is 
back to being fairly poor after their good run finish. But like, it was one of the best pen saves of the season and only one or two of his mates actually said well done. I was a bit sad for Jack Bonham. Uh, we also had Bristol City beating Rotherham 2-1. Late, late winner from Andy Vyman in a, a game that had quite a lot of uh, refereeing incident. Uh, and what else do we have? Hull 1, Watford 0. Uh, again, ref heavy this. Uh, one penalty given and scored by Tufan and then one penalty appeal not given. Uh, a Seri handball that looked fairly clear from the old TV cameras anyway, but wasn't given. It means Watford, having lost that, George, are now in the bottom half of the championship. And I re- I remember that Stoke, when they first came down from the Premier League, had a bit of a stinker in that first season. But I think Watford finishing in the bottom half would be among the most embarrassing seasons in recent memory in the championship, if that is to happen. Uh, championship awards. I'm going to tell you that... Chuba Akpom won the Championship Player of the Season, the Championship Manager of the Season, Vincent Company. The Championship Team of the Season had Ben Wilson of Coventry City in goal. One of two Championship goalkeepers to score a goal this season. That's a bit of fun. Connor Roberts and Ian Matson, the Burnley fullbacks, are the fullbacks in the team of the season. Anel Ahmed Hodzic and Tom Lockyer of Luton Town were the centre-backs. Alex Scott of Bristol City, who also won Young Player of the uh, Championship season. Um, Brownhill in midfield with Scott. Uh, and then Nathan Teller, Ilaman Njai, Chuba Akpom, Victor Jokeres. It's a good team. It's a good team. I don't think there's a huge amount of talking points in that one, genuinely. I'm sure fans of X club will disagree, but I think that's a pretty strong team. I, I totally agree. I think it's a decent side. I mean... <laughs> You're always going to um, get some dis- people who are going to point out players that, that they think should get in, if not. But I think when you uh, are having to not only choose only 11 players, but also in certain positions as well, um, it is impossible to, to avoid that. And I think in that side, there's no, there, are no, there are no glaring omissions in, in my point of view. I also I kind of wish Gus Harmer had had this burst of goal contributions maybe a month or two earlier, because I think... He's got a decent shout for a position in the team and maybe come the end of the season, depending on what happens with Coventry, he'd have an even bigger shout. I think he's absolutely fabulous. So he might have made it into my team. Um, it's One of the tricky parts of this, George, is that Burnley themselves have been the, by far and away the best team. And yet it doesn't feel like they have many stars It's basically been a team of stars, right? And like quite often some of their best players have done it in bursts so Benson for example had an amazing month or two and then he was out for a while Zaruri similar um, and and trying to work out who is most influential out of players like Brownhill and Cullen uh, the centre-backs who've all been excellent um, it's quite difficult when you have a team like that where like sometimes it's clear a title winning team has a star at the back a star in midfield and a star up front but Burnley are kind of they've all been stars so I suppose it's still nice that they got four players in there I, I kind of think that could be applied to Leighton Orient in League Two. And I think if Ipswich do win League One and it looks like it's a bit of a, a coin toss at the moment between them and Argyle, I think you could say the same about them as well. I mean, the, you mentioned it a second ago. Um, if the awards had been chosen, I know I'm skipping forward to League One a bit here, but it's the, the point is more general. Like if the awards had been chosen yesterday afternoon... I'm sure Connor Chaplin would have been on the shortlist to be League One Player of the Season. 
but these things take time. They have to be done before the, before the season ends. And therefore, you know, a, an incredibly important run of form at a, a crucial part of the season can, can basically go un, not unnoticed, but unrewarded, um, which is a shame. But that's the beast. Company had some quite nice banter about the Papa John's trophy being bigger than the championship trophy, which he yeah. does not think is, is the correct way around. If... If Vinny had come walk past us on the blue carpet, listen to yourself. Would you, would would you have said Vincent? Vincent? Yeah, that's his name. Incredible. I'd love to have known how he'd reacted <laughs> to that. I'd love it. if he if he'd said live on the stream, it's Vincent, mate. I'd have that'd have made my life. It probably is as well, but I, I <laughs> you, use my you're a linguist. I use my French degree so infrequently, and and you know. We paid for those degrees, didn't we? So, it's, uh, yeah, that's true. You got to you got to use it where you can. Um, Plymouth beat Combridge three uh, one. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the top four in League One all won. Plymouth beat Cambridge three uh, one. Ipswich beat Peterborough three nil. Sheffield Wednesday came from behind and beat Exeter two one. Barnsley beat Oxford two uh, nil. In fact, the team in fifth, Bolton won one nil against Shrewsbury. And Derby won 1-0 against Burton, George. So it was only Peterborough out of the top seven that didn't win. The pace that this lot are setting continues. And basically, it's as we were, but with one game less to go. As we were for everyone apart from Posh and Derby, really, and, and, and you know Bolton, because it does feel like even though six of the top seven winning feels like not much happening in terms of, of Peterborough's playoff credentials and derbies as well they've they've done a flip-flop in terms of where they can expect to be um but i thought all you know argyle were just they they, they were back to their usual selves at home park uh, mm. beating cambridge 3-1 some lovely um, goals some really nice goals um as we know they do they they conceded at their their fair few of ch- their own fair amount of chances sam smith continuing his very good goal scoring form with a great header um they kind of came back at them when they were 3-1 down uh, cambridge but Realistically, Argyle with, with a better side. Um, Ipswich with a, a really clinical performance against Peterborough. Peterborough themselves had a couple of, of decent chances. Walton making a very good save from from Ephraim Mason Clark, um, and being very clinical themselves. Great finish from Chaplin, who is the man in form in League One at the moment. Um, some pretty unsavoury scenes from posh fans who were seemingly arrested, which is good to see. But we don't need to get into that. I'll leave you to a little bit of spit. Yeah, bit of yeah. bit of bit of spit, which isn't don't don't spit, nice. guys. Just don't, don't spit. spit. Don't spit. Um, mm. Don't spit. Don't invade the field of play. My two bits of advice for April and May. Um, and uh, yeah, Wednesday and Barnsley. Wednesday showing some brilliant resilience, you know, given how patchy their form has been recently, going 1-0 down at home uh, to Exeter, knowing that a defeat or even dropping points would put pay to their automatic playoff hopes. Um, they came back impressively and really good value for their 2-1 win. And Barnsley... You know, I think they'd scored 30 goals in their previous eight game, eight home games coming to this one. And um, Oxford missed a decent chance within 20 minutes to Gatlin Odonka, uh, who then came off injured shortly afterwards, who looks to be out for the season. No. Um, yeah, I mean, when I say out for the season, it's two weeks. He's probably just got a knock. Um, <laughs> so over dramatic that. I know. He's got like a thigh uh, strain. Well, I'm just, I'm just regurgitating how it was how it was related to me. Um Hopefully it's not as serious as well. Hopefully it's not a serious injury, but uh, but yeah, the Tedich Tedich scoring two um, smart finishes, getting in front of his mark for both of them. Uh, Barnsley very yeah, I mean cozy winners at home as you'd probably anticipate that they would be up against a side who are now winless in seventeen in Oxford and have three very big games coming up now. 
Um, so yeah, those top four. I mean, for Barnsley, it's just a massive game, isn't it, on Tuesday night? It's where... a monster game, and we're going to be in the stands at the Kassam, and I'm going to be watching Barnsley Ipswich on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> it's massive because, yeah, it, it, it feels very unlikely they'll chase Ipswich down. They're six points behind them with three games to go. But if they can beat them, if they can beat them, then they put themselves, what, two points behind Wednesday, three points behind Ipswich with two games still to play. And then who knows what's going to happen. If Ipswich can beat Barnsley, then, you know, I think both Sheffield Wednesday and Barnsley are going to be uh, giving themselves up for a playoff campaign. Um, you know, it, it's it's one of those where the stakes are very high and it's a, it's a result that's going to tell us a lot about how that's going to play out at the top end of the, the league. Uh, notes from me on this gang. Uh, let's update the Ipswich stats. Last 13 games, 34 goals scored, two goals conceded, 11 wins and two draws. And yet, as you say, if they lose on Tuesday against Barnsley, it won't feel like any of that has happened. They will be petrified, dare I say it, heading into the weekend, which is just how crazy this league is. Uh, Ennis and Mumba combining for Argyle's third goal was a real treat of the weekend, I thought. Also, Callum Wright just just really contributing hard to this Argyle side and was not talked of as a massively sexy signing in January. But uh, I think, again, just very smart, targeted recruitment, signing a player who's 22 with Premier League Academy experience, with actually a fair amount of, of League Two and League One minutes under his belt um, with Cheltenham on loan in the last couple of years. Uh, and his goal returns were pretty impressive for a, a midfield player in a, in a team such as Cheltenham, who well, actually they did score quite a lot of goals uh, last season under Mike Duff. But generally, you know, bottom half team. Uh, and here he is pressing from the front, playing quite high up and getting goal returns as well. He's been a, a great addition for, for Argyle, especially because, you know, Azaz has been much quieter in the last three months some of that due to injury uh Morgan Whitaker of course got whipped back and you know signing Wright in particular to fill some of that sort of output gap has been massive uh Plymouth Argyle have three games to go and they need two wins to secure a spot in the championship they are at home to Bristol Rovers in midweek then they are at home to Burton Albion they can secure it without leaving Devon in the next week or so, which is pretty exciting. Um, Didzy's penalty for, for Derby edged their game against Burton. Burton did hit the post at 0-0, so it wasn't that easy, um, but they got the job done. Their home form continues to be uh, absolutely excellent. Their away form is what needs working on, and they've got uh, some big games themselves, Derby. Their playoff spot um, is, is theirs for the moment, but with Pompey at home and then Wednesday away from home, they are going to have to do it the hard way. Uh, Wednesday... They've got Shrews next and then Derby at home on the final day. So, look, they're, they're not a bad team right now, but it feels like they are just because they haven't been as good as the others around them over the last month. That's why they've slipped a little bit. If they can win both of those games, who knows what could happen? Who knows? But that's what they need to do. And it was great to see Darren Moore looking really well uh, on the blue carpet. Uh, and as for Barnsley, yeah, you mentioned Tedich. He could be an interesting name over the next month or so he's a, a young striker I think he's on loan from Manchester City uh, Barnsley's CEO is a former Man City guy so I dare say they've got a bit of a relationship there and he's not been discussed much with Barnsley this season because he's been in and out he's never been particularly fancied by Duff to start games Norwood and Devante Cole of course have been the, the starting front two in the main for the last few months but he came in here he scored two goals 
Duff said afterwards, he asked me why he wasn't in the squad. I reeled off quite a lot of things. He got his head down and worked on them. He got injured, but turned that into a positive because he came back physically miles better. If they can have Cole and Norwood and Tedich all fit, uh, rotating that front two for the playoffs, that's going to make a big difference for them, I think. Um, Phillips got two beautiful assists for him. Um, and that's nine home wins in a row for Barnsley. They host Ipswich. On Tuesday, a 17 without a win for Oxford now. Cheltenham on Tuesday, the game that we're going to. Uh, then Forest Green and then Accrington. So, um, well, pretty straightforward for Oxford. They need a couple of wins there. How are you, how are you feeling about it? Well, because you look at those games and um, I do a, a, a podcast for BBC Radio Oxford every every Monday morning. Um, and I was trying to find some reason to be positive. And in this 17 match run for Oxford, the lowliest team they've played at home in that whole run is Bristol Rovers who are currently 15th so they haven't played anyone from 15th or below at home in that time um, their record against those teams is is good I think they've won um, they've lost just one they've won three um, so with two of those still to play at home in Accrington and, and Cheltenham um, who are 16th and 23rd and then away at 24th you know, there should be some reason or some positivity that this run can end the difficulty is that Cambridge have to play Accrington and Forest Green as well um, and Burton even Morecambe's final two games um, who I basically had written off as being out of this before an unbelievable seven-point haul against Portsmouth Wickham and and uh, Charlton they host Lincoln and then travel to to Exeter so their games aren't particularly hard and then Accrington have Bolton away but then followed by Cambridge and Oxford so there isn't really a team in this in this battle. I mean, MK are the other ones who are still very much in it after their defeat. Um, but there's not a team in this battle who's looking at their fixtures and not thinking, okay, we've got some winnable games here. And that makes everything pretty high <laughs> high tariff and high risk. Because if you do come away with a, with a defeat, I think the overwhelming likelihood is other teams around you are going to pick up points. Um, MK don to host Barnsley, which is obviously tough, and then travel to Burton. So they're, they're the team with the, the uh, trickiest games to come and they're also winless in six so yeah I think MK are, are there to be shot at um, and yeah I'm fairly confident that Oxford will win a game between now and the end of the season <laughs> at some point before but whether that's die. enough I'm not sure <laughs> yeah uh, well Morecambe were the only team in the bottom six to win uh, that was the case last week as well or was it midweek sorry in midweek Morecambe the only team in the bottom six to win. They've never been relegated in their history as a football club and they're not going down without a fight, George. They're 3-2 win at Charlton. The result of the day uh, in League One, I was tempted to stretch that out to the whole EFL, but I think we still have to say QPR winning at uh, Turf Moor gets result of the day uh, out of the whole league. And I am going to give someone number one spot on the podium, George. The most heroic performance of the day individually from Cole Stockton who unbelievable I can't believe the impact he had on this football match it was like we'd gone back in time to last season when he seemed to do this every single game he scored a rocket out of nowhere uh, to put Morecambe 1-0 up in the first half then it was 1-1 no bother Stockton makes it 2-1 stabbing in nice smart finish then gets an assist for the third goal and then 
as if he hadn't done enough, cleared one off the line as well. Uh, it's a Charlton side that have only got one win against the bottom 10 teams at home this season. So clear weakness and vulnerability that they have, exploited by Morecambe, exploited by Cole Stockton and Jensen Weir. George, they are looming, the Shrimps. Yeah, they really are. I mean, again, as I said, they were a team that I'd kind of consigned to relegation. Um, but Cole Stockton in this kind of form, with this kind of belief is... <laughs> is really difficult because um, we know that he is very capable of, ex- of executing the incredible, that first goal against Charlton. I mean, those are the kind of moments that can that can completely change a whole season. Um, and they've got form for this. You know, they this uh, a, a big proportion of this group of players under this manager pulled off a great escape 12 months ago. So they're not going to be a team who um, struggle under pressure, as we've seen in the last few games. Uh, you know, they lived on the edge a little bit in their 1-0 win over, over Wickham. But this was a really, really impressive performance at the Valley where they, you know, they created plenty of opportunities in the game. They were good value for their win. And as I say, they're playing two sides of Lincoln and Exeter who have very little of anything to play for. I mean, Lincoln come into it in decent form. Um, Lassa Sorensen scoring, a, a, you know, in my mind, a better version of the, the goal that was awarded EFL goal of the season last night um, from Ishmael Yassar. Uh, an incredible inside his own half Great touch and um, and good execution to to, to score it. Um, and Lincoln aside, who are, who are doing okay at the moment, but Morecambe will, will fancy their chances at home to, to to you know to beat them. But the issue for Morecambe is that they're not playing in midweek, so they are going. You know, if I'm going to be at the Kassam watching Oxford against Cheltenham, you're going to be at the Kassam watching Barnsley against Ipswich. <laughs> I'm pretty sure a lot of Morecambe fans are going to be sitting at home watching what's going on at the Kassam, uh, what's going on um, in the Cambridge game too. I know Cambridge are Cambridge is weirdly Cambridge's game in hand is the is the week after, which I can't yeah. really work out why. Um, but yeah, Morecambe are going to find out a lot about their survival chances on a day where they're not even playing. Yeah, you mentioned the Lincoln City win at Wickham. It ended Wickham's uh, slim playoff hopes, a, a poor end to the season. You have to say, work for, for Matt Bloomfield to do over the summer to, to mould a new team in his image. Um, an incredible goal from his own half from Lasse Sorensen uh, after a terrible kick from Max Strijek. But Sorensen's first touch was immaculate uh, and his finish was Beckham-esque. Uh, Lincoln's first goal was nice as well. They're playing some great stuff right now. Um, yeah. All season, you know, there's been plenty to admire, particularly defensively. But the sort of technical, free-flowing, attacking football that um, that we wanted to see, that Mark Kennedy had, had spoken about trying to play, certainly took some time to get going. But they're really cutting loose at the moment. They're 10th in the league now, which is unbelievable. If they can hang on to 10th spot, you know, even though there's a massive gap between... You know, there's that sort of top nine, isn't there? But if they can hang on to 10th, there'll be an incredible uh, finish. Uh, uh, Dylan Duffy getting his first goal. He is one of many uh, signings from the League of Ireland that are ripping it up in, in League One. Uh, a couple of them scored, actually. Promise Omakere scored Fleetwood Towns winner against MK Dons. Um, there's Phoenix Patterson. There's Daniel Mandroyu. There's loads of guys who came over from Ireland and uh, most of them haven't needed too long to bed in, which I think reflects very well on the League of Ireland and I'm sure it will become uh, a, yeah, a, a hunting ground this summer for League One clubs, no doubt about that. Uh, Portsmouth beat Accrington 1-0. A great header from a, a great Jacobs cross was converted by Joe Piggott. Uh, there was one big chance for Presley at the end for Aki. They could have snatched a point. They didn't. John Coleman looked pretty down afterwards. I, I don't think 
he doesn't seem to be exuding a lot of we're going to miraculously stay up confidence. Um, but they've still got a chance. They've still got a chance. Um, Omakere's goal for Fleetwood giving them that 1-0 win. MK, as you mentioned, now winless in six. You're sort of a bit worried that they used their energy up a little too early with that burst that they had in, in March in the first part of April. Um, they're there to be caught. Fleetwood battling hard for a, a top half finish. That, again, same as Lincoln, would be a massive achievement for Scott Brown uh, and for Fleetwood Town. We had El Glossico. Cheltenham beat Forest Green 3 1. Uh, Cheltenham's safety is confirmed. It was that long ago that things were looking a little bit iffy, but that was the only objective. Has to have been the only objective, George, for Wade Elliott preseason. Um, taking over from Mike Duff, not easy at all, but he's done it. And I think that should be applauded. It's not been pretty always this season for Cheltenham. But, and this doesn't sound like a huge compliment, they've almost always been a competent team, a competitive team, certainly compared to those beneath them, George. And that's all they've needed to be to, to secure another year at this level. Yeah, I, I think... We can probably be a bit more effusive in our praise around Cheltenham, in, in my mind, where, um, you know, finishing 16th may not, on the face of it, look that that impressive. But so often we see the trajectory of sides like Cheltenham who are punching above their weight, or basically having to punch above their weight in order to, to, to be safe and stay up, um, lose a key figure like, like a manager and, you know, like Michael Duff. And that instigates the return back to where they you know where they came from um especially when they're appointed by you know we see an in-house appointment someone without any managerial experience you know Wade Elliott has to be one of the the quietest managers you know one of the guys doing the quietest good jobs in the EFL in my mind where I think it's an incredibly impressive debut season for a manager for Elliott to maintain the work that that the Duff put in um to keep the likes of Alfie May playing you know well, to improve as the season goes on, I think they've lost one of their last ten games. Cheltenham, um, they're they, you know they're moving in the right direction. I, I wouldn't say he's they've stagnated necessarily. I think it's a, a shift of, of of manager, and now they're building towards something very impressive again. Obviously, rumours that May might be moving on to to Wrexham at the end of the season. Uh, I don't it? know how. Have you not seen that? No, I haven't seen that. Yeah, a big rumours he's off to Wrexham. Uh, whether that's true or not, we don't know. Um, amusingly, I just saw that a, a disgruntled Forest Green fan um, just tweeted, replied to one of our tweets about Alfie May, asking how many goals he'd score for, for Wrexham and then mentioning his yellow card, which he got for chucking the ball into the Forest Green fans on Saturday. And Alfie May has replied with a ref, a gif of a ref showing a yellow card, uh, which is quite funny. Good lad. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think Charlton have done a great job. I think they are, you know, Wade Elliott deserves huge credit for that. And I'm really hoping that having said that, I've cursed them. They put in a terrible performance on Tuesday night. <laughs> uh, end of season Alfie May is the best striker in the EFL. Uh, he, he comes to life on the eve of May. <laughs> May, it's crazy. Um, 16 in, in the last 18 games last season and he's got nine in 10 since the start of March this season. I mean... I said jokingly that end of season Swansea are the best team in the EFL. Imagine if Alfie May played up front for Swansea and from March onwards he'd score, I mean, he'd break records. It'd be absolutely unbelievable. Um, instead, he may be moving to another Welsh club in Wrexham. That's the rumour. I'm just going to say Wrexham a few more times for SEO purposes um, because we put a clip on our TikTok channel of us saying Wrexham and Notts County are probably going to come up and they'll probably be pretty good in League 2 next year it wasn't 
our most searing insight, or I thought particularly interesting, but Super it's stuff. got so many views on TikTok, man. Has it? Yeah. How many? Vi- viral. Um, upwards of 8,000. What? Yeah, you should follow us on TikTok. It's just the same it's just the same video, basically, six times a week of me and George talking about football from the pod. I've not sold <laughs> that, have I? I've not sold that That was that terrible. I've not sold that at all. I, I, I just unfollowed us off the back of you saying that. <laughs> you do not have that app downloaded. Let's not pretend that you do. Uh, Port Vale beat Bristol Rovers 2-0. Uh, Andy Crosby's Port Vale now with Daryl Clark out the door. Uh, and they looked good and they won. And Ellis Harrison, who used to play up front for Bristol Rovers, scored a beautiful bicycle kick and got an assist as well. He was a real handful. League One award winners, George, were... Player of the season was Aaron Collins. He was on the shortlist with Johnson Clark Harris and Barry Bannon. I would suggest that that was um, one of the most hotly debated awards that came out of the awards last night. I was absolutely delighted for Aaron Collins and he was absolutely buzzing and he was still there, late doors, celebrating with his friends. And why not? Why not? Young Player of the Season was won by Barley Mumba. Raksaki was up for that as well. I think that was a pretty tough one um, to call. Cameron Humphreys was on the shortlist, but Mumba uh, won it. The manager of the season was Stephen Schumacher. Uh, personally, I think that's pretty difficult to argue with. And the league one of the season was Michael Cooper in goal, was Barley Mumba and Leif Davis. The fullbacks was Mads Anderson and Ricardo Santos at centre-back. Connor Harrahan and Barry Bannon in midfield uh, and a forward line of Josh Windass, Connor Chaplin, Aaron Collins, Johnson, Clark, Harris. Another pretty strong team, I'd say, G. Yeah, very strong. Um, as I mentioned, uh, they're yeah, always going to get a couple of dissenters, but um, so many good. It just feels like there's a lot of good teams at the moment in, in League One. I know Dave McGoldrick is one that a lot of people have wondered why he isn't in there. But when you look at the, you know, you look at the front players that have been selected in the team. If one of them had to come out from McGoldrick, then I think there'd be understandable outrage that, that they weren't in it. So, um, yeah, a, a strong side. And, you know, for Josh Windass, I think he's the one who maybe falls down a little bit in terms of goal involvements when you compare him to the likes of McGoldrick. But I think his influence um, over Sheffield Wednesday's ridiculous unbeaten run was massive. And, and you know, often you have to be judged on more than just your goals and assists but actually your impact on the side and watching games and seeing what players do apart from just the uh, the, the columns on the uh, the websites yes lovely uh, in League 2 Leighton Orient beat Crewe 2-0 they were coronated as champions George they won promotion on Tuesday so we haven't yet given them the big ups on the Monday pod uh, 20th when Richie Wellens took charge late last season. And just like he did at Swindon Town four years ago, he built a team over a summer, not with a million signings, not with breaking the bank or anything like that, but backed, you know, Orient have a strong budget at the level. They were massively underperforming. He's got them overperforming uh, and they are rightful champions in League Two while the rest of them scrap it out beneath them, George. They've uh, wrapped it up with a couple of games to go and Wellens made quite a good gag about that um, when <laughs> when picking up the League Two Manager of the Season award where he was asked a question and he answered a completely different question. So I feel like he might have had this one lined up. He just wanted to get it out. <laughs> but, you know, he said like, all the managers are great and we all have a really hard job. And uh, to all the others that are in the room, um, I feel bad for you because I-, I can just chill for the next few weeks and you guys are all going to be seriously stressed, but I'm just having a few beers. 
Yeah, he, he dragged Dean Holden down with him. He was like, apart from Dean, who, who I know likes a beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also thought for a second there that you may have invented another word um, in in turning coronation into a verb, coronate, uh, when surely crown is just the, the verb. But then there seems to be some debate on various different dictionary websites as to whether or not it is a word. So we'll, 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 we'll let it go. George, convinced yes. by Leighton Orient? <laughs> you idiot. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, I am convinced by Leighton Orient. Uh, as I said last week, just relentless consistency. Um, crew helped them out a couple of times on Saturday with some pretty ropey defending penalty for the first and then um, a bit of a rush of blood to the head. Um, Can we talk about for- the fact that last week... That was like my. That was my line. Was like, yeah, I've been blown away by the consistency of their of their level of performance. That's just kept them going. And you went like, yeah, that's actually a really good point. It was like you'd ne- just like you hadn't thought about that at all. And now and now you're like, yes, consistency. Of I'd performance. actually thought about it loads. Mm. And then you just you just put it into you um you eloquented it for me. So that was really kind. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, I have nothing more to say now because you know I. I feel like well let's I mean I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens next year I, I, I'm always keen to point out when overachievement can get lost in time where like specifically this season I've said it a load with Carlisle and Stevenage where it's easy to forget that they weren't meant to be doing as well as they're doing and I think I have fallen into that trap with Leighton Orient where in my mind Leighton Orient have been a really decent League 2 side for the last three or four seasons since they came up from, from the National League. Um, but actually, they had a massive drop-off last season. And it took me by surprise to hear Richie Wellen say that they were 20th when he took over in early March last season. They were only just outside the relegation places when, when, when Richie Wellens took over. So therefore, we shouldn't just be judging Wellens' job based on, on them turning this team into, into champions this season. We should base it on him taking over a burning mess, basically, off the back end of Kenny Jackett's appointment. And turning them and getting them to where they are now. So yeah, full credit. Full credit. They had three players in uh, team of the season. Lawrence Vigaru in nets. Uh, what a lovely man, by the way. I had a great chat with him at uh, quarter past two. Um, Omar Beckles, uh, of course, was in team of the season as well. And Idris El Mazzouni. Uh, they were joined by at the back Junior Chamado of Colu and Ibu Toure were the fullbacks. Carl Piagiani partnered Beckles in the team of the season's defence. Uh, Elliot Watt, Owen Moxon, El Mazzuni. That is a midfield three that I would love to see on the pitch together. Uh, you could probably say the same for the front three. Hoskins, Pinnock uh, and Andy Cook through the middle. Uh, player of the season in League Two was Sam Hoskins and uh, young player of the season in League Two was Junior Chamado, of course. Um, what else? Well, beneath Leighton Orient, the scrap continues, mate. It's absolutely crazy, isn't it? We've got uh, seven separated by eight points, two automatic spots up for grabs, four playoff spots, and one team will miss out on all of the above. Uh, it was a great weekend for Northampton Town. George, they beat Harrogate from behind 3-1, scoring some lovely goals. Pinnock and Hoskins and Bowie combining brilliantly. Just one more win needed for Cobblers. I doubt they'll be getting complacent with the ghost of last season lingering over them, but it, it's looking good for John Brady's side. Yeah, it really is. And um, again, a side who 
are very resilient and very good at coming back when things aren't going their way. Harrogate scored early on in this game. It would have been easy for them to to buckle a bit, but none of it at all. Um, three really well taken goals. Hoskins with you know that trademark shot from from the right hand side across the keeper. A brilliant finish from from Kieran Bowie um, for the third, and then kind of coasting to victory in the second half. And you know Stephen is dropping points. Obviously helped them. Um, Stockport, Carlisle, and Salford all winning. Uh, not so much, but um, you know. I guess the, the two teams with the games in hand were the two that dropped points with with uh, Bradford conceding in the 98th minute at home to Gillingham to draw two all. And that, I think, was a huge leveller in terms of this race now where it's up to Stevenage and Bradford now in midweek to, to, to make sure they get wins in those uh, in those games in hand. Otherwise, you know, Bradford are a, a, an interesting case of a side who still have a fair chance of getting into the, into the top three but lose that game in hand, they are a side that are going to be there to be shot at in terms of falling out of the top seven altogether. So it is it is precarious it for them. Feels, I do get a sense, and maybe this is the case for a few of these teams, I, I do get the sense from Mansfield fans uh, that they don't necessarily think their team is that good. But I get it very strongly from Bradford City fans in particular, um, some of the ones that we interact with on Twitter who are, you know, they're not unreasonable but they're definitely not happy clappers and they're quite happy to say you know we, we, we do get bailed out by Andy Cook and that's fine uh, sometimes you get bailed out by the goalkeeper and that's fine but in terms of the team and how how sort of consistently they control games and win games it doesn't always feel that it doesn't feel right sometimes and and here you know mm. not being able to see out a win against a team in jail so a good side but you just got to see that out, and and they're just never quite convinced at Valley Parade, which could scupper them. Uh, but they're in that spot at the moment. Mansfield uh, are on seventy-two, as are Bradford, as are Salford. Uh, but Salford have played a game more. Mansfield and Salford both won. George Mansfield winning the big one against Stevenage. Steve Evans was back at Field Mill. He famously left uh, under something of a cloud, um, telling <laughs> the chairman reportedly that he it all got too much for him and he was going to move to China. Uh, but he didn't. He moved to Peterborough instead. Uh, not well loved at Mansfield. I note that he spent the game uh, in the stands or the director's box. He didn't go down onto the touchline. Wherever he watched the game, he wouldn't have liked what he saw because Mansfield won this 1-0. They went ahead early, George. Stevenage didn't muster much in the second half. And I think... It's a weird one. I'm I'm highly concerned about Stevenage's level of performance, but they're still in such a strong position in third place with a game in hand over most of the teams around them. Yeah, I totally agree. I think their performance levels have, have dipped massively um, in the last few weeks. And even when they're playing well, or, sorry, even when they're winning, they're not really necessarily playing particularly well. Um, they go to Swindon in, mid, in midweek, which is a huge game and would have looked like quite an easy game until um, events over the weekend have changed the outlook on that one entirely. Um, and this was a very un-Stevenish performance where like, they had six shots in the game. Um, normally they're, they're a side who can pepper the opposition goal. They had loads of possession, like, dominated the ball in, in, a, in a way that you wouldn't necessarily expect from this side. I don't know, maybe a bit of an identity crisis. I'm not entirely sure. But as you say, despite the kind of recent poor performances, they are still, they still have a point uh, they're a point ahead of, of of Stockport with a game in hand, and if they can win in midweek, yeah, they play Swindon. Go four Swindon points. on Tuesday. They just need two wins in three games, but they're just making it look very difficult at the moment. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, if they win that game midweek, then, you know, it's, it's a four-point gap with two games to play and they should be okay. But, you know, if they were to if they were to lose that game or even draw that game, given that Stockport have got a better goal difference, I'd probably start to think that maybe uh, Stockport and Carlisle, who both have a better goal difference, I should say, and would be two points behind them. Um, so we'd, we'd, you, we'd, we'd overtake them with a win and a Stevenage draw on Saturday. Um, maybe they move into the driving seat. Yeah, Stockport are still putting the pressure on. They beat Rochdale uh, 1-0 here. And I remember in January they signed Isaac Alafe and Jack Stretton. And I thought that it was... Well, it was a good demonstration that they can really flex their muscles financially at this level compared to a lot of the teams around them. Um, and I also wondered if they needed both of them. Uh, and little did I know, because at that time, Carl Wooten and Paddy Madden were playing brilliantly and they were combining really well and they're both scoring and creating goals for each other. But Wooten's picked up an injury. He's out at the moment. He's a big miss because of what he does as a as a target man, as a as a hold up player, as much as anything he does in terms of scoring goals, uh, and Alafe and Stretton have both chipped in big time in the last couple of weeks, and so it just shows how much that strength and depth can 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 help you uh, at this stage of the season in particular. One 0 win, Alafe uh, stepping up. That result, George, meant that Rochdale uh, have been relegated to the National League after 102 years uh, in the EFL. It's been really tough to watch their decline over the last few years. We can't get away from the fact that we had them bottom in our 1-24s. to Pre-season, we were worried about a lack of strong leadership off the pitch. We were worried about reports that financially those that own the club just weren't able to basically spend the, the same amount of funds as before and compared to others at the level pretty consistently lost key players over the last couple of windows uh, and they finished last season so poorly under Robbie Stockdale that having lost some of their key men on top of that without a, a, a summer of business that really leapt off the page we're pretty worried about things and look the season started poorly and with Jim Bentley they just never really dragged it back. So uh, a very, very sad to say goodbye to Rochdale uh, as they drop down to the fifth tier. Yeah, it's always sad. Um, and it's sad whether it's a side like Rochdale or a side, you know, it looks like it's probably going to be Hartlepool, who, despite being an EFL mainstay for the majority of the last, you know, 50 or 60 years, um, we only welcomed back a couple of seasons ago. But I guess with Rochdale, it, it it's a bit different where... This over 100 years of, of being a, an English Football League club um, and the decline and the descent has been so rapid. Uh, yeah, it's it's unbelievably disappointing for their fans. Um, they're not, in my mind, necessarily a club, as I said a few weeks ago, who you would anticipate will have the financial clout to um, immediately... Uh, bounce back up. It will help them massively if Notts County can win the win the playoffs. Because if Notts County don't win the playoffs in the National League, then you'd think most teams are going to be playing for for second or or for a playoff place. Given the the gap between Notts County and the rest of the the league so far at the moment, um, there was that kind of promising press release a couple of weeks ago from the club. You know, really acknowledging that they there was a lot of work to do in terms of confronting. Massive issues at the club in terms of the way the football club has run, hiring the right people and market insights to to overlook that and to to get the recruitment right going forward, and you know, that should put them in good stead. Um, you know, I've I've been to Rochdale away. I had a great time at Rochdale away, despite them beating us um, a few years ago. And I hope, as I always, you know, I think we both always do whenever we say goodbye to 
a mainstay of, of not just the pod years but the EFL over mm. a long time that you know we can get excited about talking about them and again in the future and you know look at Leighton Orient because often it's not what fans like to hear but often you know sinking to a, a newest a new low ebb it might take time it might not be a quick fix it might take three or four years or three or four seasons or longer but normally when that team returns back to League Two, they're in a far, far better and stronger position uh, than they were when they left. And hopefully that's the case with Dale. Spot on. Uh, Carlisle, the Cumbrians, winning the Cumbrian derby against Barrow for the second time this season. A double. Uh, it was a pretty gritty affair with a fantastic goal-mouth scramble goal. Uh, ben Barkley cashing in. Do you think... How many shots do you think he technically had in the space of two seconds there? I think you, I think you could put him down for four 0.99 XG shots there, basically, <laughs> before he back, before he yeah. backheeled it in. And, and Carlisle are just grinding right right now, mate. I'd like to know sort of what you make of this because the headline for Carlisle recently has been how poor they've been in front of goal. They've only scored seven in their last ten. They only got a, a set piece goal here, and they certainly didn't look fluid or fluent. But they've only conceded five in their last 10 games. So defensively, they are in fabulous nick. And um, yeah, 12 total goals, 1.2 per game in their last 10. They are absolutely grinding right now. Is there something to be said for like, we're focusing too much on, on their struggles in front of goal and, and actually being super tight is a way of picking up points? Or are they just not looking that hot? I think I think something can be said for, for some of the points they've got where they've got nil-nil draws against Northampton, Bradford and Stevenage. And I think you can understand if they went into those games thinking the key here has got to be to, you know, to, to not lose these games. They also lost 1-0 against Leighton Orient in a really tight game too. So um, maybe the fixtures have played a part in it. I thought that they, when we've seen them play that unbelievably good tool game against Stockport where um, there was certainly no lack of attacking intent and then against Barrow here you know they they, they didn't necessarily um, uh, they, they didn't keep Barrow too far off I mean Barrow basically created chance in the game themselves but but again Carlisle created a fair bit you know the goal itself was really scrappy on the goal line but um, I think we may have seen a bit of a turnaround and, and I guess there's an argument to be had that maybe Paul Simpson it was by design that they tightened up for those games and that safe from the knowledge that losing those would, would see them massively lose ground on those around them uh, and it was just a bit of pragmatism maybe. Never leave a Salford City away game early. Just don't do it. Just incredible um, what Salford away fans have witnessed in the last month or so. I mean, yeah, just in... Just in April, we've seen... Justin um, who? <laughs> just in April. Did he score, he scored uh, the no. win, didn't he? It's actually nonsense because it's in March as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they, they conceded twice against against Crew, uh, and again, they lost 4-3. And I think a lot of Salford fans would hope that'd be the end of the drama for a while on the road. Um, but a 3-1 win against Stevenage was huge. But their last two games, <sighs> we've spoken a lot about the AFC Wimbledon game where they were 2-1 down... Callum Hendry misses a penalty in the 94th minute, scores a goal in the 95th minute and then gets a winner in the 96th minute. Incredible scenes. And this was almost more crazy where um, Louis Barry was sent off um, when Salford won it up at Walsall. Jamil Matt equalised make it 1-0. And you're thinking there, a point would probably be a quite a decent result this for Salford um, with 10 men. But a smash and grab, Conor McElhaney gets the goal that you think must be the winner, only heartbreak. Uh, Connor Wilkinson scores uh, in the 95th minute. 
uh, to make the game two all. But That's it, isn't it? That's probably foods. the end of the game, George. It must be it. Blow the whistle, yeah. That'll do. 90 plus seven, Matty Lund swings a right boot, gets a deflection and loops oh. over the Warsaw keeper, uh, Evans. It was it just just a crazy, crazy finish again. Like the, the, the points that they've picked up in those two games from positions where you know, it was basically done uh, and they were either going to lose the games or draw them is going to be transformative in terms of their season, especially here because all the teams around them um, won their games. If they, if they hadn't won this, you'd think they're going to be in massive trouble, but they still live on. They're currently sitting in sixth, but both those two teams beneath them, Bradford and Mansfield, have a game in hand. All three of them on the same amount of points. Goal difference, the same between Salford and Bradford, both on 18. Mansfield with one worse goal. It is so <laughs> tight. Um, but we are going to learn more, as I said, in midweek with Mansfield's uh, hosting Leighton Orient. What kind of a position Leighton Orient going to be in that one? Who knows? I know Mansfield are odds on, which suggests, you know, certainly punters thinking that Orient might be headed to the beach. Um, and then Bradford, I don't think they're playing midweek, are they? They're, they're one of those playing. Yeah, they're playing the midweek after uh, away at Crewe. Uh, but Bradford go to Northampton on, on Saturday. So even though they've played a game more, You'd think Salford's still very much in with a chance to, to to finish in the top seven and get a playoff. Yeah, I kind of hope they make it just from a neutral's perspective because they are bonkers. They've scored the most goals in the league. They've also, if you look at this top eight, conceded uh, the joint most with Mansfield, 51 in their 44 games. I mean, they've conceded 10 goals more than almost all of the teams around them except for Mansfield. Actually, Mansfield, Salford, now that I think about it, would be a very, very entertaining fixture, I think, uh, a playoff, a couple of playoff games. But to be honest, I kind of want all of them to make it um, because I'm a bit lovey-dovey like that. But they can't. Someone will miss out. Who will it be? We will find out. Uh, down at the bottom, George, we had a monster game. We had a monster, monster game between Crawley and Hartlepool. There were three points between these two teams with three games to go. Had Hartlepool won... They'd have been level on points. The goal differences would have been super tight and they'd have had two games each to get above one another. As it is, Crawley went to Hartlepool and they won 2-0. And Dom Telford scored both goals. And they were comfy with it and they were deserved winners. And it was something of a surprise. I thought Hartlepool would be able to put them under pressure and I wasn't sure that Crawley coped well with that sort of pressure away from home. But I loved their approach here. Given that the three-point gap, they had the upper hand. It would have been quite easy to like defend what we have type thing, like be a bit timid, be desperate not to lose and, and maybe impact your own performance level through sheer nerves. Not a bit of it. They had 10 of the first 13 shots in the game. They flew out the traps. They were 1-0 up. Uh, and yeah, they, they, were, they were worthy winners, George. They'll be staying up. They will be in League Two next season. Hartlepool won't be. Well... I mean, it certainly looks that way. I've gone um, early. You've gone. I mean, there's a six-point gap with 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 six goals in terms of the goal difference. So you'd think if Crawley do lose both games and Hartlepool do win both games, then Hartlepool will stay up. Um, but it's 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 not likely. I'm just saying, you know, that uh, one team, one bad team losing two games, and one good one not very good team winning two games isn't um, the most crazy thing. The frustrating thing for Hartlepool is they go to Salford. Sorry, they go to Stockport on final day. And that is probably going to be quite an important game for Stockport, you'd think. So um, that doesn't make their task any easier. I was so impressed, though, with Crawley here. I've, I've been so impressed with, impressed with Scott Lindsay since he came in. Um, I definitely didn't have this pegged as being the kind of appointment that would see the, the kind of turnaround of fortunes that we have seen 
Um, given what's happened with Swindon in his absence, maybe it's a sign that he is a, is a pretty capable, pretty good manager at this level. Um, you know, he's he's certainly built a really good rapport with the, with the fans. He's managed to somehow come in, be hired by the very unpopular ownership group, yet distance himself from those and kind of align himself closer to the players and the fans than 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 the than Wagner United. Um, and at a time where the fans are so disgruntled and so disillusioned with the direction their club is heading in off the pitch. Um, he's galvanised the playing side into something really impressive. And you're totally right in terms of the um, the mentality going into this one. It would have been so easy just to try and sit on a lead, but that's not what they've done under him. It's not what their best performances have been like under Lindsay. They've been a really good attacking side and that's what they were here. Um, shout out for the best first touch for a goal um, from Telford for the second goal. Where the best first touch that League Two has ever seen. <laughs> yeah, uh, Corey Adai goal kick, a huge goal kick, moon. and basically over his shoulder, um, Telford just brings it down and slots it home. Uh, a, a quality, classy operator. Kind of apt that it was him, isn't it? Because he was the he was the summer signing in League Two that turned everyone's heads, and the the rumoured he's he's necessarily disappointed. No, no, no. the, the um, rumoured wages were absolutely eye watering for that level for a club of that size, um, and. Yeah, Lindsay's the one that's found the system to get the best out of him, right? And he's he's paid them back. Yeah. I mean, I I was positive about their chances of doing something in the summer, and that has obviously backfired massively. Um, you know, given how often I bang on about my Burnley prediction, I should probably front up to this one as well. Um, but I would say um, we don't know what's going to happen in the summer with, with Crawley. You know, we, know, we don't know if the fan pressure is going to have is going to get any change. We don't know if there's going to be... Um, you know, if they're up for sale or if it's going to, if, if the owners are going to continue to put the kind of level of investment in they put in last year. But I do kind of wonder that if the money is there, you know, with, with the playing side of things improving in the second half of the season, with Lindsay clearly building something quite special over the last few months, I, I do wonder if there's potential for them to be a bit of a sleeper going into next season. Um, but I think I, I do really hope that the future holds happier times just in, in a more united Crawley Town because it's been a, a, a pretty desperate 12 months. Swindon went to Wimbledon and thumped them 5-1 from behind. Wimbledon scoring early and then Swindon just punching them repeatedly in the face. Some of the defending for the goals was pretty embarrassing. Uh, these two teams both ending the season poorly and, and this fixture was sort of, let's check out who's the more dysfunctional finishing the season and it was a pretty clear answer. Uh, Opta tweeted earlier that the most points dropped from winning positions across the top four tiers since 21-22, so the last two almost full seasons. AFC Wimbledon, 77 points dropped from winning positions. The next worst, Fleetwood, 64, then Bristol City, 58, then Morecambe, 50. So only four teams in the top four tiers have dropped more than 50 points from winning positions. Wimbledon, 77, uh, not great, but a, a, a lovely day out for the Swindon fans after a not a great few months. Um, George, other notes from the beach, Colu thumping Sutton, 4-1. Enjoying themselves right now. Ben Garner getting a nice little attacking tune uh, out of this team and, and a lot of the youngsters... Youngsters? Youngsters. Youngsters. Why do I always do this just before the end of the pod? Just completely glitch. Uh, a couple of the youngsters playing well. <laughs> such as Samson Tavide, who looked super sharp, such as Junior Chamado, League Two Young Player of the Season, such as my favourite Noah Chilvers. Yeah, I think there's, there are maybe, and I'm, I'm, I'm not punting them for being 
champions of League Two next year necessarily, but I think there there are kind of um, shades of Leighton Orient about this uh, at the moment with um, with Colchester. You know, like a difficult season, make a higher late on. Definitely a group of players where you can see the potential in there, and then a really good little run to finish the season. Um, definitely, you know, not it's not just a Swindon connection, but I think Welland and, and Garner are very similar as well. Two managers who. We know there's something there. We know they can build a good team, but we've also seen them fail at other clubs. Pretty abrasive characters, probably quite Marmite. Um, Yeah, I think there there might be a a bit of a precedent here for for Colchester being a side to keep an eye on next season. They're certainly finishing the season really well. Newport beat Donny 3-1. Newport finishing strong for sure. Donny not doing that. Uh, Two of Newport's goals came directly uh, from headers from long throws which as Richie Wellens pointed out when he was a guest on the uh, ITV highlight show doesn't happen very often that a player just heads home a long throw straight up first contact into the goal happened twice in this game doesn't reflect very well on, on Doncaster's players really or their motivation levels and Danny Schofield seems to be floundering a little bit and the fans certainly uh, making their voices heard in terms of, of demanding change really I think the fans would like basically everything to change at the club at this point. I'm not sure how realistic that is, but um, we shall see that there's certainly a team to to keep a close eye on over the next few months. Um, but Newport finishing strong, and actually since Graham Coughlin took over, uh, 30-odd games, their ninth best points return in the league. So they've they've been pretty good under him, and they needed to get that appointment right. Newport were, were close to League 2 relegation for the first time in a couple of years. Uh, it's a club who... You know, like a few clubs, I think if they went down to the National League, they, they might find it difficult to come straight back up again. Um, they're well away from it now and, and they'll be build, building under Graham Coughlin. Uh, and Tramir beat Grimsby 2-0. Uh, Tramir didn't have many shots in this game, but they scored a penalty and a, and a lovely free kick. Uh, Grimsby had quite a lot of shots and didn't score any of them. So that was uh, 2-0 at Prenton Park. Uh, George, that's been fun. Oh, mate, I loved it. You kind of say you've been incredible. Really? Well, yeah, I mean, you're hungover, you're tired, and given that a podcast is basically inviting people to come and spend some time with you, and, you know, you're not the best company when you're hungover and tired, you've managed to disguise that incredibly well, and I've loved it, so I can only assume the listeners loved it too. Well, I've definitely got a greater appreciation for the consistent work of Alan Brazil. Uh... (laughs) I also, you know, ever since you said on the podcast that there's no excuse in this day and age to have a hangover. I always am quite smug whenever you are hungover. Uh, Guys, thank you so much for coming and joining us. As George said, we invited you in today and you joined us all the way. Um, What a few weeks we have ahead of us uh, in the EFL. We will be speaking on that with probably a little more clarity over the next few weeks. So stay with us on the pod. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to the newsletter, ntt20.substack.com, and we'll see you in a couple of days. Go out. Nice to see you. Good evening. Looking very well. 